this is Sophie Wilson, and you are listening to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. Support the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast on patreon.com slash slowboatsailing. All right, greetings from Lafayette, Louisiana. So we left the boat on the hard. I think last time I was on the hard at the Port Lucia Yacht Club in near Salinas, Ecuador, actually in La Libertad, Ecuador. And then I flew back with Daly. You know, I hope my preparations were good. It's hard to say. You know, I took off the Genoa. I took tied up the main. It, it had its cover on pretty well, and then I put another line on it. Uh, I got rid of the perishable food, but I, I left a lot. Uh, all the canned food and the unopened uh, pasta I put in like extra plastic bags because I'm kind of obsessive about the the Glad slider bags, and I think the, of those as kind of a core thing that I use because uh, I also use those to examine the quality of the fuel that I'm putting in the outboards and uh, the inboards. So I have a, some like two and a half gallon Glad slider bags that packed some stuff in you know i i don't know i i think things will keep pretty well i did not turn off the batteries entirely i turned off the switches to the batteries so uh so they're they are on the off position but there are some things that are hardwired into the batteries uh, such as the bilge pump i did turn off the bilge pump ecuador is very dry and you know as i was driving out to the airport in a cab, it became very clear how dry it is that just outside of town is a desert, lots of cactuses, lots of sand. I'm pretty happy about that decision. You know, one of the good things about Ecuador is we're not in the hurricane zone either, so you don't have to worry about tropical storms. And I, It may have dewed or sprinkled a little while we were there, but it never rained. It was often cloudy, but it... it, it never actually rained and uh, you know you look at the countryside and you can see it doesn't rain a lot so i think that's that's the right decision because the the problem was that the bilge pump float switch has in the past stayed up and that definitely would be a tremendous drain on the batteries so i thought it was better to keep the flo- uh, the bilge pump on the turned off uh, than to risk it, the float switch popping up and definitely wiping out the batteries over several months. The, I mean, the other thing is I could have plugged in uh, the the shore power. I chose to unplug the shore power because I just didn't didn't trust it. I didn't trust that it would be stable. It would always give not short out. You know, I I think it probably once or twice while I was there. You know, the, the breaker switch had gone on. So I figured I'd just be leaving it out and it'd probably be on the breaker switch anyways. It would go off at some point and not be charged up. I left all the things to plug it in out in the cabin. So uh, I'll probably have the folks who are working on our loose cutlass bearing take a look at the batteries and maybe they can plug in the shore power if they're looking low. I also turned off the solar and the wind generator is on brake mode and it's also has a zip tie so it won't spin. We've always done that in the past when we've left the boat and we've left it for several months with the shore power off, with everything off, and we've had good results with that. Uh, We've never left it for 10 months, but we've left it definitely for two or three months. I did not detach the actual battery cables on the batteries because I I thought that they would not, uh, that would be likely to create a short, that they would not stay away from the battery terminals. They're not super long. They're kind of in place and they kind of are hard to keep off one another. And so 
I, I thought that that was more likely to cause problems than to keep batteries from being drained. And we do have switches for the batteries. There's just a few things uh, that are hardwired into the batteries and don't go through the switches. But if the, all the outlets were unplugged, I think that those are probably most of the things that would drain the batteries potentially. Although I think ideally you'd have some sort of flow charge, but we've we've gotten away with not doing that for a long time where we leave the boat regularly for at least two weeks, but oftentimes a month or more. And I haven't seen a noticeable drop in the battery's capacity when we've been gone a month or more. So now that I'm back home, I have a pretty fast internet connection compared to what I had started working on putting all those videos that I had on my phone and also on the GoPro knockoffs, putting those together into a, a YouTube vlog series. And so I've got a plan for the vlog series on uh, our WordPress site, uh, which you go to slowboatsailing.com and you click the blog link in the top right corner and you can see that or you can just go to YouTube and go to slow boat sailing and we've got the trailer up right now we've got the first episode which is sailing offshore from New Orleans to St. Petersburg and that details our first offshore trip the uh, passage a two-day offshore trip from Pensacola to St. Petersburg now our guest Tyler from All Hands on Deck also has an offshore trip from Pensacola to Tampa Bay, and we were really at the north entrance to Tampa Bay, a more southerly entrance, and it took them eight days. And I, I think for most cruising boats, it's going to take two days, as it did for us. Tyler, this season, season three of More Hands on Deck, crewed on a boat of a skipper from Louisiana, like me, uh, who wanted to go to Panama this season, like me, uh, and it didn't go as well for that skipper in terms of the destination as it did go for the slow boat. And and it's just kind of, and Tyler will talk about you know why he left Vagabond Phil's boat after three months, uh, and they only got to. Tampa Bay. I think me and Stevie got to Panama within seven weeks. So give you another idea of how fast it can be done. But they were trying a, a very different route. They were going to go via Grenada, as you see. And that, that's a much longer route uh, if you intend to go to Panama. We were kind of going more due south uh, via Cuba. So uh, I have video one, video two, and video three. Video three is the first landfall in Cuba at Cabo San Antonio. Uh, you know, I planned for the, the vlogs, which are entirely free on YouTube. You subscribe to the channel and you'll get updates on when I put it up, is to have very short videos that are highly edited that have very short cuts. You know, my typical cut is about three seconds. There'll be some longer monologues in there and, and stuff like that. But, you know, most cuts are going to be three to five seconds or less in terms of the pictures. And that, I just think, it makes it more visually interesting. The trailer's got two-second cuts. It's about a, a minute long. The first actual episode with that offshore trip from Pensacola to St. Pete is about 11 minutes long. The offshore trip, three-day offshore trip from uh, Venice Inlet to Cabo San Antonio, and then our tour that that marina is about seven minutes long. The so I think I'll probably end up making 10 videos going all the way to Ecuador uh, based on what I recorded on my phone and 
also those GoPro knockoffs. You know, I preferred using my phone, my iPhone, just because I could see the pictures. And, you know, I think the tendency with the GoPro is just to keep it running continually, which typically makes really boring videos. You know, some people kind of make get around that by, for instance, they have a long sequence, they just speed up the film. So you can see if they're doing a, a project or something, and, and, and that definitely works. But I, I just preferred using the iPhone. So, you know, in episode one, I, you know, I fall into water and I lose my iPhone 5 and I have to buy a new one uh, in that episode. And the, so I ended up getting like kind of the biggest memory one just so I could actually take the pictures. But, you know, and as the expense, I'm also finding that my hard drive is more or less maxed out. And so I started, I bought a external hard drive. Uh, to produce it, but we're making the the season is entirely free to subscribe. Uh, we're not asking patrons to support it either. The the Patreon is is only for hosting the podcast. So the episodes uh, four will be in Nueva Verona on the island of Juventud in Cuba. Five I think will be in Cayo Largo. Six, we'll be looking at Providencia, Colombia, which is just a gorgeous island. We're going to have some just gorgeous footage from there. There's gorgeous footage from Cayo Largo, but, you know, when you talk about a tropical island, Providencia is what you think of. And, you know, Nueva Verona is going to have some just tremendous pictures of a city lost in time. Then in in Panama, I'm going to do a, a, a lot of uh, videos of, you know, what it's like to be in Cologne and a boater in Cologne. What kind of places will you see if you're at Shelter Bay Marina, if you're, you know, on the bus crossing the Panama Canal? What kind of places do you visit when you check in? So, you know, it, it's kind of a mixture of a vlog. Uh, but also kind of like a, a cruising guide in the sense that I kind of see things from the perspective of, you know, a sailboat skipper. How do I, you know, how do I keep the boat moving? How do I get supplies? Where do I go into port? Uh, and the, those types of things are often on my mind when I am in port, you know. Uh, where do I get water? Where do I get, if there's shore power, do I get shore power? Do I get wa uh, Do I get fuel, those types of things. How do I check in? Those big concerns, in addition to kind of the, the what do I do while I'm there? I think you'll that's kind of what you'll get out of the videos. If, I mean, definitely if you're planning on visiting Providencia or uh, if you're visiting uh, Cayo Largo or Nueva Verona or uh, Cabo San Antonio, Cuba or Cologne, Panama, I think that they'll, they'll be very helpful to you. And then we'll have a Panama Canal crossing video for sure. And I think I'll have all the videos out before the end of 2016, probably maybe sooner than that. And then won't make any more videos uh, until 2017 when we get start sailing. The only video I probably won't release in uh, in the next several weeks is the season finale, which will probably be about episode 10, about our offshore trip to Ecuador with Jana, me, Sophie, and Daly, which was a long trip. <laughs> Had a lot of twists and turns, but I think it'll be a great uh, video, and so we'll keep the season finale till. Uh, summer 2017 to kind of kick off the interest for our trip to French Polynesia and the Galapagos, which, you know, if we have enough interest on the YouTube channel, I'll keep on producing them and I'll keep on filming them for the, the 2017 cruising season. But, you know, if, you know, it's just my mom watching, you know, it's free to subscribe, it's free to watch, but Nobody's watching. 
that I'm not going to go through the time and expense of recording them and, and editing them and putting them out, you know, because I, I, I want to just put out high quality vlogs. Uh, I don't I don't want to just put out random videos that waste people's time. You know, the other thing you'll find on our YouTube channel is that it there's also some video podcasts. And those are really meant for people that have not been introduced to podcasts and that they're just kind of randomly searching YouTube and they want to learn about some of these great guests that we've had and so that they can see that video and hopefully subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. And so I've put those in a different section. Those are more or less audio only. You have to have some pictures there to do that. Um, but th that's that's really the purpose of those is so that people that have not really been introduced to podcasts, but they do use YouTube, find the podcast and subscribe. So way more people that listen to the podcast, listen to it over iTunes and Stitcher than look at those, for instance, video podcast episodes uh, on the, the Slow Boat Sailing YouTube channel. So you can just support it by watching the videos, subscribing to the YouTube channel, and, uh, you know, liking the videos or commenting on them. I'd love that you to do that. And, you know, if you want to tell your friends about that, the YouTube channel, too, that's great. You know, if you want to see somebody sailing around the world, you'll get to see that in these videos. You know, I think there's a lot of channels out there that say they're saying, sailing around the world. They haven't left their home country yet by video 50 or video 100. And you wonder if they ever uh, will. Uh, so, you know, I think there's not a big investment here in terms of time to kind of see what it's like to do the passages, go on the trade wind circumnavigation route. Now we've had a lot of guests that are sailing around the world definitely and that's usually the guests that I focus on. There's a lot of channels out there that I've not asked for interviews because I just didn't I didn't think they were actually going out there that they were kind of staying in port a lot. And so if you want to see a channel that stays in port and fixes their boat the Slow Boat Sailing channel is not for you. If you want to see a, a channel where the boat is doing offshore passages, sailing to new countries, then the Slow Boat Sailing channel is the channel for you. So I like talking to Tyler. He's a young guy. He's got a sailboat. He's doing some great videos on his More Hands on Deck channel. I really liked his series, third season. Here he is after a word from our episode sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Jennifer Clark's Gulfstream. Satellite oceanographer Jennifer Clark and professional meteorologist Dane Clark have over 35 years of experience helping sailors on blue water voyages. Their current charts, crossing waypoints, and personalized weather advice help sailors take advantage of favorable currents and minimize the impact of unfavorable ones. A link to their website, their email address, and their phone number are in the show notes. You're in Venice, Italy. Yes, I've gone into Venice about three days ago. I didn't realize that soon. You just got to Venice, and you got a job in Venice? Yeah, I got a job that uh, with Antlos.com. It's uh, basically like Airbnb for sailboats. Oh, okay. Cool. You can get a charter or an Airbnb of your sailboat in Venice. How many sailboats are on the, the network there? Yeah, like, they have four different locations around the Mediterranean, like Croatia, Italy... Ibiza, Spain, Greece, and they have like 500 boats listed or so. Oh, okay, so the boats are not necessarily in Venice. 
it's not a charter agency, so it's all transparent, and they just basically connect you with the captain, and then you talk to the captain straight up and, like, talk to him and organize everything and get it all dialed, and then they leave themselves out of it. They just kind of line you up with the right captain and then take a small percentage off the top. Oh, so when you do it, there's a captain that goes with the boat. Right, yeah. So it's like you get a local captain that knows the waters, and it's his boat. So you get to use his boat, and his, like, yeah, he drives you around. Oh, okay. All right. That makes it's not sense. It's like a charter rental agency. Okay, so, it, it, yeah, I guess that's one of the things you worry about with this kind of Airbnb stuff is that you need to, you get inexperienced people on your yeah, boat. Yeah, I, I wouldn't let anybody take my boat out. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't let anybody rent my boat and just take it out without me on it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot more sense. I'm sure you're the same. Yeah, but you do, I mean, you do have to have, in the States, you have to have your captain's license to do that, so. Yeah, and these, it's all the same. Yeah. You have to have all your papers and everything in each, each country is obviously different, but it's just whatever the rules are in the country. Well, you know. Most of them are. I've, I've heard of people that have actually put their boats on Airbnb, uh, and the ones I've heard of, they did not have a captain's license, but they probably should have. <laughs> well, you, you see on those, there's that's just literally staying on the boat for the night. That's not taking it out and going sailing. That's true. That's true. But, no, you know, they always got matter. roped into the kind of like a, a cruise or something after that. Or sometimes they yeah, would, and then, sure then they needed like, to... Yeah, hey, man, you want to give me a hundred bucks, I'll take you snorkeling tomorrow? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've all done it. Yeah. So, uh, now, tell me about your boat. So, I have a CT pilot house. Okay. A 35-foot CT pilot house in La Paz, Mexico. You have a boat in La Paz, Mexico, and you're, you've been away from your boat for a while. A white... About six months, yeah. So why are you so far away from your boat? Because my original plan was to come back last fall. So it kind of goes back to last fall. So during hurricane season, I was I put the boat on the hard. I was going to go up and make some money. Right. And then a guy had never taken a trip, and he had a Pearson 35 he wanted to take to Panama, starting in Louisiana. So he wasn't going to pay me, but I could do, like, photojournalism stuff kind of for my more hands-on-deck project. So I was really excited about that. So for experience reasons, and I wanted to sail, obviously, for free, but I wasn't getting paid. So I ended up getting his boat to Florida, and then after that I had a slew of adventures. Uh, I got the opportunity to go work with the tourism company in Switzerland, and then I went and had the opportunity to go down to Nicaragua for a month on a surf trip. So it kind of escalated to just turning into all these opportunities that I was just taking for traveling and photojournalism and stuff like that. Well, my boat is still in Mexico. And then I got a job this spring as a wildland firefighter because that was my old job. That was my past life before I started sailing. And I was working during that and then this job with Antlos in Italy came up and I kind of couldn't say no it's kind of a unique opportunity okay so when did you get your pilot house uh, CNC I got my pilot house two years ago two years ago okay and you did you buy it in Mexico or yeah so I sailed down with my friend and then me and my buddy jumped off and bought it and it was, hadn't sailed for like 20 years and bought it in Mexico for $4,000. We just okay. put a, a low ball offer on it and they took it. It was listed for 10 All right. Sounds like you got a, a very low price. And have you been able to take it out any? Yeah, yeah. So what we did the first year is uh, it, the masts were both wooden. The one, the main was totally rotted. So we had to take it down, remanufactured a new aluminum mass, like custom fabbed aluminum mass, redid all the rigging and then moved the chain plates to the exterior and just redid the, built a whole brand new rig for it. Wow. And then ended up taking it out a few times in the Sea Cortez, which was incredible. 
and then went back to the States a little bit to work, and then I came back the following winter and was sailing it and working on it as well. So we definitely sailed. It's just the only problem that I have to fix now is just to seal the decks. Like the fiberglass and stuff is peeling up, so I just got to seal the deck so water doesn't get inside when it's hurricane season or tropical climates and things like that. Okay, yeah, so... I'd be interested in, you know, your your preparation that you do to to put it on the hard. What do you what do you do to to keep the boat in good condition when you come back? Oh yeah, it's basically uh it's a really good yard and they really look after it, but for me, I think it's just organization, like getting everything clean and dialed, get all the food off so no bugs or cock especially cockroaches in mexico they're crazy down there just get all the food is a big thing everything off that some animal would like to eat and then just get everything organized and dialed so we can come back to a nice cleanly boat that doesn't have any weird crazy animals living in it lock everything sails off <laughs> stuff like that so you would uh, get uh, even canned food you'd take off no, I, I leave canned food. If it's solid, like sealed, yeah. like that. But, like, you know, if there's open rice or spices or something in drawers, right. wasabi, <laughs> Okay. <like> that. <laughs> uh, what if it's, like, in a sealed plastic bag that's never been opened? What do you think? Would you take it off? No, I, th- I mean, I think that'd be all right, unless you're dealing with crazy pack rats or something, because they'll chew right through it. Yeah. But I guess... It's possible. I think to be safe, I would just anything canned food is good because then it also depends how long you're going to leave your boat too, you know. But I like I just like to clean, just clean it. So I come back. I would rather dump all the food and get rid of it and come back and start fresh than come back to a mess, you know. Um, how about getting the water out uh, or keeping the water out? How do you how do you deal with that? Uh, keeping the water out of the the boat with my boat yeah when it's on the hard oh yeah well I have somebody come check on it okay <laughs> do you do you uh, keep the you keep the batteries week. hooked up or do What's you that? do you keep the batteries hooked up or do you unhook the batteries no I disconnect everything yeah I mean I could right now I could leave it on because like with my solar solar charger and everything but I don't have a regulator and I mean I suppose if you had the proper solar regulator and you banked on it not going out at all <laughs> but I would rather have unhook it and just have the peace of mind that nothing will happen it won't boil or anything just in case while you're not there okay because when you're 3,000 miles away you know it's kind of hard to deal with stuff like that do you uh, keep the bilge pump hooked up or not really I do when the battery's hooked up but but when you're gone, you unhook the battery, so there's no bilge pump. Yeah, so. yeah, there's no bilge pump. It's probably not that there. rainy in La Paz. I don't, I don't know the. No, it's it's really not. It's just the hurricanes bring the rain, and then with my certain situation right now, it's been I haven't had a problem. And do you cover it? I don't. Which some guys do, but a lot of guys don't. Yeah. It's kind of one of those things because if you cover it and then if you're not down there and like a hurricane comes through and rips all your tarps off or whatever, it could be on other people's boats. But most of the guys don't cover them down there either. And then, do you uh, take down your furler, the the Genoa? Do you take down the Genoa from the furler? Yeah, I actually have a Hank on, so I don't even have a furler. Okay, so it's already off, anyways. And you and take the main, you take that I off? I do. No, I kept the main on with the canvas. I just strap it. I just put an extra tie around the entire boom. Okay. So you kind of like wrap around the boom. Yeah. And it's been, and I've tested it through a few big hurricanes and it's worked. So. <laughs> cool. So it's it's pretty solid. So how long have you been doing your YouTube channel, uh, More Hands on Deck? So, More Hands on Deck started in 2013, so about three years now, and it started with my friends, and we just decided to go on the surf trip on my buddy's sailboat, 
we had no idea how long it was going to take or if we are going to keep going or what was going to happen. We just grabbed a GoPro and started filming our trip down down the bottom. So I, I was interested in your third season that you just started. That uh, Who was the gentleman you were sailing with? What was his name? So that was Phil, Vagabond Phil. Phil, the guy okay. I helped take his boat to Florida, and now he's in Miami. Okay. The guy's a who. Yeah, he seemed fairly interesting, and, uh, you know, it's the... Do you think he would have gone on the trip if he had not found you? No, he wouldn't have. <laughs> he, he, he said he would have, but there were crucial things that he didn't have experience of, off, any offshore experience, that I don't think it would have been too fun for him to go offshore Yeah. at the point, because he had never been... Had he ever he left Lake Charles? Some minor sailing, but he never actually had done a trip, a cruise before. Yeah. Well, that was cool that you were able to help him out. I guess you guys did not go as far as you hoped. No, he at was the beginning. trying to get to Panama last season, and then I think he he had some engine problems, and he realized that it's cruising. You can think how cheap it is, but it kind of does take money, especially if stuff starts breaking. On your first trip, everything breaks right. after you prepare it. So, yeah. And that was happening to him. Like, he ripped his sail, his heat exchanger cracked, and like all these things just kept adding up. And, you know, it's like and he had to wait for getting money and like organizing all these funds and stuff. So it wasn't just as like I get my allotted income for food and my boat's never going to break and I can just continue on and I'll be in Panama in a couple months. Right, yeah. So, so it was a huge learning experience for him. And then once I got to Tampa, I realized I had some journalism opportunities to go around the world. And also I wanted to work to raise money for my own dream on my own boat. Exactly. Yeah, so it didn't... Uh, so how long were you on the boat? I was on the boat from... For... Two months, I believe. Okay, two months, okay. So that was kind of a long trip. Three months. Three months, yeah, you were on there for a long time. Yeah, and it wasn't... We It took a long time, because we had 500 miles of just getting out of the canals in Louisiana. Uh And I don't know if you've been down there in the canals, but they are crazy. No, I've not. I've not, except by kayak, I've not thought that they would be a good place to go by sailboat but <laughs> no like my boat wouldn't even make it through where we went it was too big the channels only are only 10 feet deep yeah and they're pretty much strictly for barges yeah there's not a lot of there's not a lot of traffic there well you know there's yeah, not I a lot of traffic where i sailed either between the mississippi sound and alabama there's not a, or between the Mississippi Sound and Florida, there's there's almost no pleasure traffic. It's all fishing boats or barges. Yeah, yeah, right. It's everybody's like in the yeah in the pathways that you have to go, and it's just I would I probably wouldn't go back and do that part again. I'm glad I experienced it. I mean, it was a good learning lesson for me, and I learned a lot on it, but I would much rather be offshore anywhere in the world than going through those canals, dodging barges. Yeah. It's not 500 miles, really, from Lake Charles. It can't be that much. It's only... It was. Maybe not 500. A couple hundred, maybe. It was at least 250 or 300, I believe. Okay. From Lake Charles, we went like I think we went. We took the longest way instead of just going out to the Gulf and sailing over. We went to, we got down to New Orleans and then headed over towards Pensacola and took the ICW like the entire way over. Yeah, that's that's also pretty direct to Pensacola, right? I mean, once you get to New Orleans, once you get uh, out into the Lake Bourne and the Mississippi Sound, it's pretty direct, the ICW. You'd be hard-pressed to find a, a quicker route. Yeah, totally. Uh, but maybe it winds around in those canals and between Lake Charles and New Orleans a little. 
Yeah, and another thing too is the boat was uh, really slow too. We were only going like three and a half knots. Whoa! The so, whole time. How come? How come it goes so slow? I don't know. It was. It was in. His, it was in Louisiana in the in his slip for two years, and he had never scraped the bottom. <laughs> Okay. And I wasn't gonna jump in that water and scrape the bottom because a you can't even see anything. Okay. So there was just like, I think there was just a reef on it and. Okay. Yeah, that would make it, it slow. Just wasn't in the the best shape, so it was a super slow boat the entire trip. Right. Oh my. <laughs> like if he got up to four knots, we were happy. So has he got his bottom cleaned yet or not yet? I'm not sure. I hope he did, because I was trying to, I was trying to tell him how many knots he would shave or he would gain. But I think that was that's going to be an experiment. He's going to have to find out on his own. Yeah. So I don't think I don't think he truly believed me that he would gain like one and a half knots at least. Yeah, it, it seems like your season three looks very good. I think it'll be very entertaining. It sounds like a train wreck. <laughs> yeah, it, it kind of was, and then. And then the thing, it was hard to wrap up, too, because I went straight from Florida with him, and then I went to Switzerland, and then went to Nicaragua and Costa Rica, and then, so, I kind of went into, like, took off from sailing, just went into traveling mode, because I got all these opportunities to take, so kind of went a different route than I thought. I thought it was just going to be cool, me sailing to to, uh, Panama with this older gentleman. It's crazy. Yeah, Louisiana guy. So when you started out, did you really think you were going to go to Panama? With him, I knew yeah. we had it when I first got to the boat, you mean? Yeah, I mean, I guess yeah. maybe you didn't understand the condition of the boat until you saw it. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't, yeah. and I didn't understand his. I I didn't understand a few things. Yeah. So I didn't understand the condition of the boat, and that he was still building it, and his plan was to build it as he cruised, you know, like a lot of people do. But you just add on, like, his plan was just to have it super basic and functional and then add on, you know, luxury items along the way and stuff, like autopilot and stuff like that. Well, cleaning the Uh, bottom is kind of basic, right? Yeah, so I (laughs) didn't know about that Yeah, right, yeah. And it wasn't even ready functional. It wasn't really day sailing. So I just assumed that he would have been ready to go. Yeah, he was more a liveaboard than a cruiser. Exactly, and he lived. Though I think he lived next to three guys that were liveaboards, and they weren't ever going to go cruising. So he didn't have an influence to get out there. It was all it was like his opinion. It was like his opinion first there. So yeah, when you got there, there why didn't you just turn around and run? Why did you stay? Because it, I definitely thought of it as a unique challenge because it was a different. I guess scenario that I've never been on before like so I'm the younger guy and he's I think he's 66 or so and he had retired from his job he'd been a manager position and everything and then he brought me in like I was just a first mate and he was teaching me things but I also had to relay to him information without him knowing that I was telling him what to do because it's his boat and he wanted to tell me what to do so I would teach him in a discreet way how to do it so he could teach it back to me. And my and my goal at the end of the day was as long as we both knew what the hell we were doing. Okay. So I just took... So it was a really, really crazy dynamic that I'd never been in before. So you started out in the canals and you weren't really sailing. You are probably using the motor the whole time, right? Yeah, that, absolutely. And... Once you got out into the Mississippi Sound or uh, the Gulf of Mexico, what was there a little bit of a learning curve there, or was that was that the easy part? That was, I would say, a, the next step because he he got comfortable in the canals of you know running his boat, driving it, and steering it, and maneuvering it around other things. But there were certain things that weren't done, or it wasn't even ready to sail, like. And, like, his skills were, like, he couldn't properly tie the right knot at a certain time. And 
he hadn't experienced reefing the sails before on his own. So there's a few different scenarios where it got really sketchy. <laughs> when I was, I just couldn't even handle it anymore. I just had to go do it. It wasn't even a learning experience anymore. I just had to go. I couldn't even teach him. I just had to go do it and get it done because you got to make it happen when you're out there, you know. So what were the kind of conditions were his sails in? So his his sails, the the stitching was good and everything, but they were really, really um, warm and really like I don't know how you say it, but um, they were just light, like broken down, like they've been on the boat forever. Like oh, they weren't okay. ripped or anything. It was just, and then it ended up ripping when we reefed one time. They had a little UV damage, probably. Yeah, I think it was just the UV damage that it was. They were just on there. It hadn't been sailing forever, but they were just there in in the sun, and so it kind of broke them down. It was a sloop rigged boat. Yep, the sloop, and it had a roller furler. Yeah, and did it have a umbrella cover on the furler, or not really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. On the very edge of it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so did he have any other spare sails besides yeah, that, or was that it? He did not have a backup main, and he he said that he had another jib sail, but I never saw it. But I know he did have a spinnaker. Okay. All right. So you so guys got to get out the spinnaker. Set. Okay. Well, that was something. Yeah. You know, you could put something up in that, and then. But maybe no storm yes. sails, except that no. you can furl the well, general. Yeah, his, his storm sails just furled it in. Okay. And that worked pretty well. Okay, and so... Then, he only had a... His main only double reefed, too. That was the other kind of not very sweet part about his mainsail. <laughs> right, you couldn't, you couldn't really reef down when you had some big weather or got in some yeah. squalls. Yeah, it was either the boat was sailing like crazy or it was bobbing like a cork because you couldn't put that third reef to stabilize it in. You guys, did you have any trouble with the offshore part? When did you go offshore? So we went offshore from Pensacola, Florida, and no, not really. There was a few scenarios where uh, like the roller furler line snapped. We had to fix that. Um, like we had to do a filter change on the motor and then just like with the tying the knots and teaching him how to go through the process of reefing the sail when the wind kicks up at night and things like that so it was more like just teaching him the mechanics of sailing while we were out there of basically uh, but the weather was not too bad Maybe it was easier sailing than motoring for that boat. Yeah, yeah, because we had to motor because we only had a 20-gallon tank diesel. Uh, but, the, I mean, we got some, a little bit heavy weather. I mean, I wouldn't say heavy, but it was like gusts of 35, and it was like in the 30s. So, but And then we were going kind of with it a little bit. And, I mean, there was like six or seven-foot waves. So we were cruising, but I don't know. Have you been out to the Gulf before? Yeah. So I, we just sailed from Pensacola to St. Pete this eight weeks ago on our way to Panama. Oh, sweet. And then we, of course, went from Venice, Florida to Cabo San Antonio, Cuba. And then we did the, we did the Big Bend hop a couple times on our way to the Bahamas. Nice, that sounds pretty fun. So you did the trip. (laughs) Yeah, so we went, we would, I was interested in the season three because, uh, you know, he was kind of doing the same, he said he was going to do the same trip we just did. Right. So we went from New Orleans to, to Panama. We just got through the Panama Canal yesterday. And, you know, I, when he said he was going to go to Panama by the Bahamas, and where else was he going? All those other places? Uh, I was like, that's never going to happen. Granada. Oh, yeah, Granada. Yeah, that's uh, that's never going to happen in a reasonable amount of time. People do that in four years, typically. <laughs> I mean, yeah. some people can do it in a season, that they can get to Granada. 
very few people do that. Very, very few people do that. I thought it was in kind of not a realistic plan. I was wondering <laughs> how yeah. how he, uh, you know, how much yeah. experience he had. Yeah, and then I, I told him at the beginning, too, my kind of sub-plan was I wasn't committed to Panama with him. I was going to sail with him for a while, and then if the, another opportunity came up or something came up or I went to get got a job or went back to my boat, I would just leave. I wouldn't, and he was totally cool with that. So I just kind of wanted, it was kind of cool, though, because I feel like if he didn't call me and I didn't show up, he would have never left, and he would still be in Louisiana right now. Yeah, he's in Florida now. I think he'll have fun down in Florida. There's a lot of liveaboards in Florida, and it's not that expensive compared to Louisiana. So it's he'll probably he'll probably have a nice time down there. I'm sure. Yeah, he's in Miami. Yeah, it It could be worse, right? Yeah, it's better than where like Charles. Uh, yeah. I mean, like. you can live pretty cheaply on a mooring in the Keys or in, in uh, Miami. You know, you're all around those million-dollar condos, but right next to them, you're on a mooring that costs you 300 bucks a month or something. So it's yeah, definitely doable. Awesome. You just you can live like them. You just live on your boat right outside in the water. There you go. That's pretty cheap for a mooring. Yeah. I guess down there, it seems like... Yeah, I mean, I think the marinas are like $3 a foot for transients. I don't know if they're longer term, but they're not cheap. Yeah, that's how uh, La Paz is. La Paz is expensive. Oh, really? Okay. How much is the haul out, by the way? I'm interested in that. How much is the haul out in La Paz? Oh, the haul outs. It's very reasonable and very painless. Like the dry storage, how much do they charge you a month? So it's two hundred and fifty dollars a month, and then to haul it out, it's two fifty, and to put it back in, it's two hundred. Oh, that's great. Those are great rates. Yeah. yeah. And the only thing you can't do is the bottom. Yeah. So they, if you want the bottom done, you can't just do it yourself. That you've got to hire them to do it. That's the only deal. But you can, where I'm at, I can fix anything and live on it while I work and like repair stuff as well. They don't mind. Yeah, you don't. You don't have to breathe those noxious fumes if. They insist on doing it for you. Oh, yeah, they're cheap. I mean, I think... I don't know how much... But it was only... I feel like last time we had... He was going to charge us... Before we did any other work, it was a haul out and put back in and the bottom painted for like $800. So I'd make the bottom job like 250 Oh, that's nice. So, yeah, and it's with uh, the Mexican paint. They put chili powder in it, so... <laughs> You know, the special illegal kind that you can't get in the States. It lasts a little longer. (laughs) Cool. I think you can store in in Panama for a similar price on the Caribbean side. You know, I just didn't want to stay in Panama. And I also, I think a problem in Panama versus La Paz for dry storage is that it's really wet here. That's true. Right? It's a rainforest, and... I had our episode 14 guest got her boat in Panama and it's White Spot Pirates. Yeah, Nike or Nikki. She, her first video shows like mold the size of your arm on her boat. <laughs> so, so I, yeah, I think I'd rather store it in a drier location. So we're headed to Ecuador. Yeah, I mean that's the beauty of La Paz. I yeah. mean it's it's dry, and I mean there's obviously hurricane season that it rains, but that's two months out of the year. But yeah. the water is tropical, so you're technically in the tropics, but in the Baja you're in the desert still. So has all the tropical fish and everything. All right, so that's the end of our interview with Tyler from More Hands on Deck. If you want to hear the second half of that interview, pledge as little as a dollar an episode, and you'll get access to this bonus interview and all the bonus interviews since episode 10 with S.B. Delos. You'll also get, for pledging just a dollar an episode or a dollar a month, a 
free copy of my number one Amazon bestseller, How to Sail Around the World Part-Time, which tells you why I'm putting my boat on the hard, for example, in Ecuador. That short ebook for Kindle is available for 99 cents on Amazon.com this week. I want to give away my other book, Slow Boat to the Bahamas, which has also been a number one bestseller on Amazon.com in the sailing category. But I'm still waiting to hit that goal that we set so we can cover our internet and hosting costs of $20 per episode and we are only 60% uh, towards our Patreon goal with $12 in pledges. On episode 26, we will have John Glennie, the skipper of the ill-fated Rose Noel trimaran sailboat, which flipped over in the Southern Ocean, and he and his crew were adrift for 119 days before they landed ashore on Great Barrier Island in New Zealand. That story has recently been made into a movie which has just been released in the United States on the streaming services of Netflix or on Amazon where I watched it. Uh, there's also a great documentary about that that we'll put a link to the in the show notes in the next episode. So until next time, have some fun on the water. I'm Linus Wilson. Hi, I'm Jana Wilson. Thank you for listening to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. Subscribe to our free newsletter at slowboatsailing.com.